You are listening to episode 38 of the Stop Go Stop podcast. My name is John Wenzel. This week on the program, a trip to the moon, a march in the field, and the social and political power of empathy. An audio collage entitled, I Don't Know If There's an Answer to This. For the third week in a row, I mine the internet. This week for recordings, interviews, and book reports, and pair them with marching bands and digital signal processing. Stop Go Stop is an experimental podcast dedicated to expanding the possibilities of RSS-based audio distribution. Subscribe to the feed by visiting stopgostop.com or searching for my last name, Wanzel, W-A-N-Z-E-L, in iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And now, Stop Go Stop is proud to present I don't know if there's an answer to this. What is welfare? Living in a somewhat affluent community, it's not uncommon for students here at Fountain Valley High School to be confused on what welfare is. In truth, welfare doesn't just exist in poor neighborhoods, it's also right here in the heart of Fountain Valley. This is Austin. Austin's parents are honest, decent workers, working as public servants for our government. However, after the 2008 economic crash, Austin's parents are now unemployed. Because of that, Austin now has social security checks sent to him every month in order to pay for what his parents could have earned, had they not lost their jobs. Austin can also apply for free lunch right here at Fountain Valley High School, and have reduced fees for things like the AP and SAT exams, all because his financial situation qualified for it. Now that's welfare. So how did Americans receive aid before the welfare revolution of FDR and other presidents like LBJ and JFK in the 20th century? Let's take a look. A long time ago, in a British colony far, far away, English poor laws were enforced as one of the first welfare policy actions. These policies, brought over to colonial America from the motherland, established public workhouses for the unemployed, and helped build many poor houses such as orphanages and soup kitchens. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are introducing to you and to the world these seven men who have been selected to begin training for orbital space. Ladies and gentlemen, are the nation's first degree Five, three, two, one, zero. All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. Yes, sir, we allow it clear. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Godspeed, John Glenn.
entered the U.S. gained independent position. Americans began to move west. Remember the Trail of Tears? In 1824, the Bureau of Indian Affairs was basically a giant tissue box issued by the government as the first race-centered federal assistance program aimed at protecting and aiding Native Americans. Welfare also came in the form of movements. In 1845, during the Great Awakening, Dorothea Dix led the social movement for the establishment of public mental asylums to protect the indigent insane. If you remember your aid push, Freedmen's Aid Societies were established before the Civil War in the Northern States to assist former slaves with education and supplies. This led to the creation of the first federal welfare agency, called the Freedmen's Bureau, to provide temporary relief, education, employment, and health care for the newly released slaves during Reconstruction. In 1910, several states passed workmen's compensation laws to protect wage earners from the economic risks of injury or unemployment. Recall that one summer where we had to read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle before starting AP English in junior year? The Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, were one of the watchdog programs enacted to protect employees in the food industry. Likewise, in 1913, the U.S. Department of Labor was created to promote the welfare of American workers. Jimmy Ford, get back in. Okay. I don't know, we're coming over to the west, the west end. They want you to come back in now. Roger, we've been trying to talk to you for a while here. No, back in. Come on. We still got three and a half more days to go, buddy. Okay. 7 and 6, would you continue with the description of your station keeping?
great book that I read that um, the coroners in Baltimore that the series The Wire was written on um, by David Simon. Um, so uh, I think there's a lot to understand in mostly that um, the police brutality and the drug and war seems to be very connected um, and was transformed in terms of peace and community We have ignition sequence style. The engines are on.
We're still go, altitude 27,000 feet. Same alarm, and it appears to come up when we have a Establish federal welfare programs that help states pay for and administer programs in old age assistance, aid to the blind, aid independent children, and general assistance for Americans in need who do not qualify for other forms of help. And finally, the GI Bill after World War II is probably one of the most popular forms of welfare, which provided enormous assistance to World War II veterans college admission. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The, uh, 
mass empathic collapse that we all know about, the Rwandan genocide, the Holocaust. But we don't really hear about moments of mass empathic flowering when empathy has developed on a collective scale and shifted the social and political landscape. It's important that we understand these. And let me give you one example. Evacuation during the Second World War. We all know that over a million, maybe two million children were evacuated from British cities into the countryside to escape the German bombs. And we know that this was often a very traumatic experience for children. What we don't hear about is the way that this led to an empathic revolution. Evacuation was the greatest meeting of strangers in British history. What happened? Well, in effect, relatively poor urban kids were suddenly thrust into the living rooms of relatively well-off provincial people and families. And what happened? Well, people living in the provinces of Britain suddenly saw the realities of urban poverty standing right in front of their eyes. They saw that these children were malnourished, they were diseased, they had rickets, they had lice, they had poor clothing, and there was a mass empathic outpouring to what was a recognition of one of the black spots on British society, the huge extent of urban poverty that had been hidden for decades from most people uh, throughout Britain. And something extraordinary happened due to this mass empathic reaction when these, the nation's poor children were thrust into the, the wealthy living rooms of provincial Britain and rural Britain. There was mass public protest by women's organisations and others and parliamentarians lobbying the government to do something about this social problem. And what happened? 
the government responded almost immediately with new child welfare legislation, free school meals, vitamins, educational reforms. This was the beginning of the British welfare state right at the moment. Okay, yeah, these resources were extremely scarce due to the war. That's affirmative. Uh, we're reading We're uh, trying to come up with some good ideas here for you. And uh, Jack, uh, our O2 uh, quantity number two tankers, are you serious to look at that? Now, look to me, looking out the uh, hatch, that we are venting something. We are, uh, we are venting something out uh, into the uh, into space. Roger, we got me your venting. Here in Mission Control, we're looking, uh, now looking towards an alternate mission. Swinging around the moon and using the uh, lunar module power systems because of the situation that has developed here this evening. It's not a very long procedure, Fred. Uh, we figure we've got about 15 minutes worth of power left in the command module, so uh, we want you to start uh, getting over in the lamb and getting some power on that because we have an apparent serious oxygen leak in the cryogenic oxygen in the service module. The lunar module would serve as a sort of lifeboat for the crew of Apollo 13. The parasite in near the moon, uh, they would use the descent propulsion system of the lunar module for trans-Earth injection burn at about 79 hours, 30 minutes, ground elapsed time. Okay, Marty, you're looking good. Oh, look at the 
the mountains today, Jim, when they're all sunlit, isn't that beautiful? It really is. There's a lot to understand, mostly that, um, you know, Bill, please brutality and the drug and wars seems to be very connected. Transforming in terms of community relations and in terms of trust. Particularly in terms of the police department. but it happened in the struggle against slavery in the late 18th century, the struggle for women's rights and indigenous rights, the rights of gay people, the rights of disabled people today. So if you're interested in changing politics, what do you need to do? You need to think about how to ramp up empathy, how to expand our moral concern and step into the shoes of neglected social groups. Today, who do we need to do that for? We need to step into the shoes of future generations who are going to be impacted by our high carbon lifestyles. We need to step into the shoes of people who are suffering from inequalities in developing countries. Everywhere around us, we need to learn that empathy has the greatest power to change the social and political world. Representative 
our joint work, friendship, will continue even after this flight. I too am sure, dear television viewers, that this flight will open the way to further cooperation and friendship between our two countries. Thank you and good luck. My name is Michael Joseph Savage. By the 30s, the country and the world were in the grip of a terrible depression. Hundreds of thousands of people were out of work and thousands of families went hungry. In the 1935 election, we were swept into power. We had a mandate for a gutsy program of public spending to snap the economy back into life and provide work. Within a year, the country was climbing out of depression. Workers had money to spend, and that created more jobs. We began to build the many state houses you see in Auckland today. Our cradle to the grave policies redefined New Zealand. A key cause of the first ever Labour government was due to the depression and the policies they promised to implement if and when they made it into power. What they offered to do for New Zealand, as stated in the Encyclopedia of New Zealand, was to restore wages and pension cuts, to bring in a basic wage, a 40-hour week and a major programme of public works. It built up the unions by bringing back compulsory arbitration and adding to it compulsory membership of unions and embarked upon a great housing construction program. This was a positive change to the previous policies as Labour's useful policy on land was in essence the replacement of freehold tenure by a system of perpetual Minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. And the shuttle has cleared the tower. Two minutes, four seconds. Standing by for SRB SEP confirmation. Roger on the zip, Columbia. Mark, uh, two minutes, 20 seconds. Confirm solid rocket booster set. Columbia is now steering for its precise window in space for main engine cutoff. Columbia now 74 nautical miles in altitude, 181 nautical miles altitude. Glad you're enjoying it. Status check in the control center. Columbia, Houston, you're going at eight. Mark, eight minutes. Four seconds. Columbia now 63 nautical miles in altitude, 606 nautical miles downrange. Standing by now for main engine cutoff. Five, eight, oh, 25, six, seven, zero, up at 220 feet per second. Roger, Columbia, Miko. Confirm shutdown. Uh, Columbia, the gem of this new ocean now in space, not yet in orbit. Uh, now standing by now for external tank separation. Okay, we've got that. Roger, we confirm the SEP, Columbia. Mission Control Houston, a status check and mission control now. Go, no, go to stay on orbit. And uh, Columbia get Houston, out of the uh, you guys did so good, we're going to let you stay up there for a couple of days. You're go for on orbit. Spacecraft must go for on orbit. This thing is just performing just outstanding. And the vehicle is just performing like a champ. Really beautiful. 
And the big thing that seemed to have changed in Baltimore, not probably every big city, was when cocaine hit. Um, violence was ratcheted up, there was panic on part of the government. Um, probable cause was thrown out the window, people were subject to be arrested for standing on their street corner. Um, it seems to be as much of a function of class and social control as it is of racism, but they are definitely linked. Um, um, seems to keep the poor poorer and bad areas bad areas. Um, as far as police brutality in Baltimore, um, there was a change in mayor before their current mayor and they paid out payouts to the cops for um, brutality. Um, there was a loss of morals, of values, of code on the street and a lack of trust between the police force and the community. We're taking off now at Edwards. AOS in automatic flight control. Hello, uh, Columbia's here. Hello, Columbia, Houston's here. How do you read? Well, I'm clear, and we're doing uh, Mach 10.3 at 180 AS. And we couldn't agree more, John. Your state vector's good. We've got uh, good data in-house. Okay, it looks to me like the L over D is normal. Crossing the coast Columbia, line now. we show you crossing the coast now. Right here. Oh, you can come. 141,000 feet. Range 240 Columbia, miles. Columbia, like hands. Go ahead and take them. Okay, going in. Crew now incorporating tactical air navigation system data into the spacecraft. In a row. John Young rolling, using manual control now. Columbia, we see roll reversal complete. Control looks good. Probe's coming out. And Columbia, you're out of 100K with positive seats. Looking right good. Right. Ejection seats can be used oh, that's now. beautiful. Below 100,000. Mach 3. Okay, probe's out. And uh, air data looks pretty good for here. Roger that. Looking good. We're looking at him. And you're coming right down the chute. Range 73 miles. Columbia, we're go for air data. You're out of 89K, 2.8 Mach. Air data is in. Roger that. We're looking. So, again, what can you do? First, you want to make sure that other people are aware of this. So the more voices we have, the better chance we have of impacting policy. You can find your local aid service organization by going to asofinder.com, and you can find your local senator by going to senator.gov. Some of you are getting ready to start the big sweeping turn into the runway. 38,000 feet, range 19 miles. Columbia, you're coming right around the hack, looking beautiful. Spacecon aboard 30,000. Columbia, you're really looking good. Right on the money. Right on the money. And we're seeing 1.3 G's coming around the hack. Roger that. And turning on to final, your winds on the surface are calm. Back on the wind. You're right on the glide slope, Columbia. Clear, John. 16,000 feet. Mark 15. Airspeed 271 knots. Fido says it couldn't be any better. 9,000, 289 knots. Everything looks real good. 2,500 feet. Clear? Good coming. Clear down. 50 feet. 40. 30. 20. Stand. 5. 4. 3. More than 8.5 billion one, dollars was out on loan. 
So when the stock prices plummeted on Tuesday 24th of October, many people lost outrageous Five, amounts of money. Four, Unemployment rose three, as employers could down. no longer afford to pay their workers. It crashed the American economy, America was no Welcome longer able Columbia. to purchase beautiful, goods beautiful. and services from other countries, which is why the Wall Street crash is so significant when talking about the causes of the Great Depression. The consequences of the Labour Party coming into government are vast. As soon as the Labour government was voted into power, they went about trying to rectify the high levels of unemployment and try to bring New Zealand to the standard of living it previously had. In 1937, the government started building state homes to make sure that those who were unemployed and those who were struggling had cheaper and more affordable housing to live in. The first state home was opened on the 18th of September 1937 in Miramar, Wellington. This was just one of the 5,000 homes the government aimed to build a year in order to rid New Zealand of its substandard housing. This included 392 state homes that were built in Johnsonville during the period of 1938 to 1956. Johnsonville was not the only suburb to be developing and recovering quickly from the depression. Cities and suburbs throughout New Zealand were beginning to get back on their feet as the government increased national expenditure on capital goods such as roads and railways. By the 1940s, as commented on again in the book about the development of Johnsonville, Perhaps somewhat ironically, the depression years furthered the growth of Johnsonville. Public works received considerable attention in this decade, so that by the time the Relief Committee was disbanded in 1939, the main road from Wellington was sealed and widened, and other suburban routes were improved. The advent of the motor car was firmly recognised as more than a rich man's fancy. The fourth landing of the Columbia is the historical equivalent to the driving of the Golden Spike, which completed the first transcontinental railroad. It marks our entrance into a new era. The test flights are over. The groundwork has been laid. And now we will move forward to capitalize on the tremendous potential offered by the ultimate frontier of space. Beginning with the next flight, the Columbia and her sister ships will be fully operational, ready to provide economical and routine access to space for scientific exploration, commercial ventures, and for tasks related to the national security. Liftoff of the first operational space shuttle mission with two satellites on board, and the shuttle has cleared the tower. Columbia now in space for a fifth time, this time with a four-man crew. Columbia, Houston, with you through Santiago for two minutes. Over. Okay, Mike, uh, we deliver. We got SBS off on time. And we, by the way, still have that beautiful satellite inside. It's traveling just below it. The uh, deployment of the Annex satellite in some six minutes. Okay, Houston, this is Columbia. We are two for two. We deliver. Roger that. Hatch is open. EV-1 is uh, halfway out. Astronaut Story Musgrave is uh, at least partway out of the airlock now. The hatch is open. This will be the first American spacewalk since 1974. Skylab 4. Liftoff of SCS-7 and America's first woman astronaut. Never been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. Roger that, Sally. Awaiting affirmation from the crew that uh, shuttle pallet satellite has been deployed, which will be a 
Rather a significant moment in the history of the shuttle program. John performed a beautiful release and recapture in auto. Wonderful, wonderful. I've been told that some crews in the past uh, have announced that uh, we deliver. Well, from Flight 7, we pick up and deliver. Roger that. Commander Curley? Yes, sir, Mr. President. Well, listen, congratulations on a successful and a spectacular night launch. Every one of these launches of the shuttle is a, is a spectacular and a noteworthy event. But this one has certainly its share of firsts. Guy, congratulations. You, I think, are paving the way for many others, and you're making it plain that we are in an era of brotherhood here in our land, and you will serve as a role model for so many others and be so inspirational. And then Bill, at 54, is the oldest astronaut to ever fly in space. Um, you, you have a specially warm now, how place do you think in my that heart. You can help and rebuild these communities. The first, when I think uh, I'm the perfect one for this job that needs to be done, because, I mean, if you haven't uh, lived this FDA. life, it's like a, an experiment. You know, my life has been an experiment. And had I not been through this experiment, then I wouldn't know what happened. You know, most people don't know what happened in South Central. They don't know how you get started selling drugs. They don't know how you get out of selling drugs. They don't know how you can go from being illiterate at 28 years old to being as literate as I am now. You know, basically, I, I, I do law work. You know, like I said, I'm filing my paperwork today in my lawsuit. What do you think about the rapper Rick Ross taking on your persona? He's never sold drugs. He's never been involved with any type of crime. You know, he was a college boy, played football, from what I understand, and he was a prison guard. You know, and, and, and you know, to be a prison guard, your record has to be spotless. You know, so uh, he's, he's definitely created a fraud, and, and uh, um, you know, he's perpetrating a lie. What role did the U.S. government play in bringing crack cocaine into LA's poor black neighborhoods. The government needed this money to fight this war over in Nicaragua against the Sandinistas. Russia had gave the Sandinistas $100 million to fight with. Congress had cut off all the money from the, the Contras. So now the Sandinistas had an advantage. Reagan and Bush had made the Contras their pet peeve. They felt that if Russia took over Nicaragua, they would be too close to America. They would be in our backyard. I believe that they felt it was more valuable to sacrifice a particular sector, sector of America and a race of people in America in order to save the whole country. So, they let these guys open up pipelines. Danilo Blandon, Norman Nessus, and the rest of the crew that, that, that worked with the Nicaraguan Connection. Because I knew about 10 or 15 different Nicaraguans that was all inside of this you know, Contra organization uh, that was selling drugs. So by them allowing these guys, or basically turning a blind eye, because I don't think the government necessarily gave them the drugs or, 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 or whatnot, but in a sense they sanctioned it because they turned a blind eye. They knew that these guys were selling drugs, but they did absolutely nothing about it. I also believe that had 
they not let these guys sell drugs, it's possible that I would have never become a drug dealer. What does that say about our government? Waha, B-L-A-H-A, 10th, which is National Women and Girls HIV AIDS Awareness Day, making sure that you have something posted on your Facebook or your Twitter or some social media that speaks to women and girls who are HIV positive, that speaks to prevention programs for women and girls, that speaks to the statistics that impact women living with HIV and AIDS. So just making sure that people are aware of those issues and concerns. Secondly, you should really get involved. So as I mentioned, a lot of my understanding of these policies aren't just from me reading about them and passing them along or reading articles, but also seeing them and directly observing them in the clients that I serve. So before being a case manager, I volunteered at this same agency, the HIV AIDS Resource Center in Ypsilanti, Michigan. So I encourage you to do the same. So contact your local AIDS service organization, Learn about what they're doing for women who are HIV positive. Learn about um, the clients that they serve and also get involved and volunteer. Lastly, what you can do is also contact your, uh, your, your senator and contact the people who are um, 
over the funding for the Ryan White Care Act. So it is up for reauthorization this year and recently it was referred to the Health Committee in July of this year. And so they're still debating about whether or not they're going to reauthorize the funding as it's been before. So this is a great time for them to include some things that have designated allocation of funds for gender-specific services. So we know the Ryan White Act probably will be renewed. It's renewed every year, which is a huge comfort and assurance. At the same time, it is modified every time Time that it is reauthorized. So this is your time to contact your representatives, to contact your senators. The representative who sponsored the reauthorization this year is Frank Pallone, and you can contact him and talk to him about uh, the reauthorization of the Ryan Wright Act and talk to him about the committee members um, on the Health Committee about these concerns about designating funding for women. And the Ryan Wright Act is also um, known as the H. HR 2699, as you can see on the slide, uh, provided in the video. That's the act that you want to refer to when you're talking about the Ryan Wright Care Act. Satellite Morelos from Mexico and Arabsat for the Arab Consortium, Communications Consortium. And we also have a couple of payload specialists on board from foreign shores. And with me right now is Patrick Baudry from France and the Arabsat payload specialist from Saudi Arabia. Sultan Salman Al Saud. Steve Nagel, who is the 100th individual to uh, reach space uh, in the manned space program. At least 100th American. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true, uh, although uh, I sat three inches behind Ted and my nose is about three and a half inches longer than hers is. So it, it's still a debatable point in my mind anyway, but I thank you very much for this great honor and especially the cake, which I'll gladly eat. Roger, Discovery, request all crew members temporarily drop what they're doing and flow to the tension. I have an important announcement to make and request also that Steve Nagel make his way to the front of the bus, please. This is Mission Control standing by for a special ceremony. Roger. It has been determined that in about five seconds, Steve Nagel will, will start the 100th orbit of this flight. Two, one, mark. The 100th American has just started the 100th orbit of this flight, which will be known officially as Orbit Nagel. Roger, and be advised that was the 100th nose on the 100th node of this flight. Uh, that's extremely poetic. We'll remember that forever. Uh, Steve is in tears. And we'll see you later. All 100 of us now in the Moker have an announcement for you. Good night, Discovery! Well, good night, Moker, and uh, we'll be holding them all. We'll get to see you in person and uh, maybe have a beard on the road here a little bit or something. Or maybe 100 of them. Maybe 100 of them. 90 seconds away from liftoff of 51I. Okay, okay, And we have main engine start. Four, three, two, one. Ignition and liftoff. Liftoff of 51I and the commercial deploy and repair mission. It is cleared the tower. Mission specialists uh, Jim Van Hoften and uh, Bill Fisher getting set up in the cargo bay, making the preparations to uh, begin the salvage operation. CENTCOM uh, weighing about 15,000 pounds. The satellite is uh, approximately 14 feet in diameter. Got it. 
And uh, we got a good shot of fish fence pressing about uh, seven and a half tons, I guess. some speeches, Gary Webb talked about how the DEA told them that what he was reporting on would put people's lives at risk. Now, do you think that was just a scare tactic? And are there parallels from what was happening then to what is happening right now? Today in the news, we hear about WikiLeaks exposing all these U.S. military secrets. And we're also hearing on the news that these secrets are supposedly putting people's lives at risk. I mean, talk about the similarities. I mean, our, our government is really out of control. You know, DEA, FBI, they're really out of control. Nobody, I mean, like, when we find Ryan wrongdoing in our cases and stuff, there was nobody that we could run to and say, hey, you know, this guy's doing such and such and such and such. You know, even with the crooked cops, there was nobody that we could go to to, 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 to express what was going on, that these cops were beating us. You know, these cops busted my head open and, and, and with flashlights. They let a dog bite me while I was handcuffed. But there was nobody that we could go to and express what was going on. You didn't even know how to read when you got out of high school, yet you were still able to run a multi-million dollar business. I mean, how is it that you're able to go through school and never learn how to read? Well, the teachers really, weren't interested in teaching me. They were interested in getting a paycheck, which is another one of America's way of thinking. See, America's not thinking about getting smart, they're thinking about getting a check. And when you think like that, then all you want is the money, the hell with Challenger's the product. eight-member flight crew represents so the largest single crew ever launched. The and the crew will work in two shifts to conduct the science investigations of Space Lab D1 on a round-the-clock basis. The three European payload specialists represent the largest contingent of foreign astronauts to date that have flown aboard the shuttle. The Deutschland Space Lab Mission 1, abbreviated Space Lab D1, will feature 76 scientific investigations. One of the most notable aspects of this 22nd space shuttle flight is that the science mission will be entirely managed through the German Space Operations Center near Munich. Good morning, nochmal. Uh, we would be ready now for TV-19 MKB uh, to show Marangoni Convection Boat uh, the moving uh, tracer particles um, on uh, real-time downlink. Over. I look on the TV and I see Marangoni Convection nicely operating in the uh, boat. I see uh, very good motion but also unexpected things and it's totally different from what we can observe on Earth. Thank you very much. Over and out. 
You've been listening to, I don't know if there's an answer to this, episode 38 of the Stop Go Stop podcast. This week's program mixed together a NASA recording of the history of space flight with speeches and book reports about the history of the welfare state and social services. The podcast is produced by myself, John Wanzell. You can follow me on Twitter at John Wanzell. Subscribe to the feed by visiting StopGoStops.com or searching for my last name, Wanzell, on iTunes. If you enjoyed the program, be the first to write a review in iTunes, or better yet, please tell a friend. Thank you for downloading. You have been listening to Stop Go Stop.